I'm Candace Lim. And I'm Rachel Hampton, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And wow, I do feel like we are officially in fall now. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm watching Gilmore Girls. The VMAs just happened. Football is allegedly back. And Mm -hmm. yet, uh, it does kind of feel like something is like missing. I know exactly what you mean. I feel like I really tell time by when new TV shows come out and with the simultaneous strikes that this show supports full-heartedly, it doesn't really feel like fall is here yet. Like there's no new season of Riverdale because it's finally over. There's no new extremely horny Shonda Rhimes drama. Yeah. Yeah. But I do have to say, Rachel, can I please tell you about the craziest ad I saw recently? Please. Okay, so there's apparently a new TV show coming out. It stars Mark Paul Gossler as a guy who is being kidnapped and held in a detective's basement. And the detective is like, hey, King, I will let you go if you help me do my job and rescue other kidnapping victims. Um, mm mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. Why did she kidnap him in the first place is maybe the most important question. Oh, and Rachel, get ready. It is because he kidnapped her when she was 16. And therefore, the show is about the captor becoming the caption. And this is on network TV, by the way, guys. This is not like Showtime, but it's so dark. And I just find this wild because like, Mark Paul Gossler, <laughs> what happened to Pitch? Okay, okay. Before we go on, yes. This entire podcast from our producers, Daisy Rosario to Sierra Spragley Ricks, justice for Pitch. Justice for mm-hmm. the Fox TV show Pitch. Exactly. Pro Pitch. Pro Pitch. I mean, what happened to Franklin and Bash? Like, when I saw this ad, that's how I knew TV was in its flop era because this is just so dark. However, I feel like that means there's only one safe place for us to turn to. Yeah, because this really doesn't feel safe. This feels like a Colleen Hoover novel, I'm not going to lie. And you know they're going to fall in love. You know they're going to fall in love. There's no way they don't fall in love. You know they're going to fall in love. Yeah. (laughs) But we all know our spiritual safe places that, honestly, in hindsight, aren't really that safe. But I'm going to keep going to the site formerly known as Twitter and also books. That aren't written by Colleen Hoover. Mm-hmm. The site formerly known as Twitter and Bucks. Okay, Rachel, feed the nation. What is something you are enjoying right now that is not about kidnapping Zach Morris? Okay, I did find out about this from the site formerly known as Twitter, which is this really great piece from the Baffler's agricultural issue. I know. Stick with me. Um, but it is actually about trad wives and it's written by a journalist named Gabby Delval. I love her work. She used to work for the goods back when Vox still had that. And it's just a really great piece on how trad wives are basically a step on something that she describes as the crunchy to alt-right pipeline, which is just mm. 
Chef's Kiss. I'm going to read a little bit of this. Everyone should go read it, but I'm just going to give you a little taste. Uh, Gabby writes, quote, the past that trad wives once returned to an anachronistic pastiche of rugged pioneer individualism and mid-century familial plenty never really existed. The lifestyle they promote is a thoroughly modern construction. These aesthetic signifiers, confused as they may be, point to periods of American history in which white families were prioritized above all others, which is just so smart. When she talks about this famous TikTok family called the Neelamans, you probably know them as Ballerina Farms, and how that kind of aesthetic is basically hiding um, a lot. So... Very uh, upbeat read. 10 out of 10 recommend. What about you? So I have been rereading this book series called Magnolia Parks. It's by Jessa Hastings. Have you heard about this, Rachel? I have not. Magnolia Parks. (laughs) Tell me more. It's giving steel magnolias. (laughs) So it is about a friend group of Nepo babies in London, and it's very OG Gossip Girl, but British. And so it's kind of about these like super rich kids. They like date each other. They're toxic. They go to dinners and perfume launch events, and they just stunt on these hoes, and these hoes are me. And I I have to admit, guys, I love these books. Like I kind of looked down on them at first because they were really, really hyped on book talk, which is always kind of a red flag for me. But then I actually read it and I was like, oh, my God, this is the trash <laughs> I desire. And so, Rachel, it did kind of bring up this question for me, which is, have you ever like read a book that you loved, you're so invested in to the point where you like can kind of picture the characters in your head? You're like, OK, I know how they look, how they sound, how they dress. And you're like, oh, yeah, like call me director. I've seen this film before. Yes, definitely. I I feel like everyone kind of fan casts a little bit when they're reading. I definitely have some headcanons for characters that I've read about, even when they're real people who exist. I'm not going to lie. I'll be reading (laughs) historical (laughs) nonfiction and I'll be like, "Mm, there's photos of this person, but what if they look like this instead? (laughs) Uh, So you read Oppenheimer and were like Killian Murphy down. <laughs> Everyone clearly thought Killian Murphy was Oppenheimer from the beginning, yes. <laughs> yeah. And so I am also not beneath a fan cast, you know, and this is usually when someone on Tumblr is like, oh, I'm reading this book. And I think Jake Gyllenhaal would be like the main guy and Jennifer Lawrence would be the main girl. And like, oh, I don't know, Josh Gad is raccoon, you know, <laughs> obviously with a cast as vivid as this one, I too was kind of in that zone. And I was like, have other people been fan casting Magnolia Parks? And the answer is obviously yes, they have because I went on TikTok and there's loads <laughs> of fun little videos set to like Delhi by Ice Spice. And it's like Laura Harrier as Magnolia Parks, Dacre Montgomery as Jonah. Sure, I'm feeling it. And then I got to this one video and it like really threw me off for a second. Wait, sorry, before we go forward, Magnolia Parks is the name of the character? Yes, and the series. I'm sorry, I thought it was like a place. <laughs> okay, 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 got it, got it, got it. Um, <laughs> did they cast Josh Gad as Magnolia Parks? <laughs> I wish, I wish. <laughs> Instead, someone made AI digital paintings of the characters from the book. Oh my okay. god. Allegedly, and this is what I've gleaned from the TikTok, they apparently use an app 
called GenCraft, and they probably took like passages from the book that described the character being like, oh, Julian has sharp cheekbones and brown hair and blue eyes. And they just kind of like put it in this AI app. And that app turned out this hot guy with sharp cheekbones and brown hair and blue eyes. Did it hit? Did it satisfy the same itch that a fan cast does? Absolutely not. It did not hit as hard as a Josh Gad as Magnolia Park's fan cast. And like, that's part of it. But the other part of it is this was so far from my personal imagining of the characters. And I just kind of didn't understand why you would make AI reimaginations of book characters when you could use existing actors that are real and just make fan casts using them. Like, Laura Harrier is actually a really, really, really close rep for Magnolia Parks, but this person instead chose to create, like, a new random person to stand in for Magnolia, and I'm just, I just am not really sure why, because it doesn't help me to read this book and just, like, imagine someone from thin air. It helps me more to be like, okay, this is Laura Harrier. I can picture her whilst reading this book. Got it. I do have to say that I've been, you know, side Googling the Magnolia Park series and I found out something that I feel like you might want to know. Oh, hit me. Did you know the Magnolia Park series was written by AI? What? (laughs) No. 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 (laughs) No, I'm kidding. It's not. It's a real person. It could be. (laughs) (laughs) Just joking. No disrespect to Jessa Hastings, who 100% wrote these books. But have you ever thought about if you went on, you know, Jessa Hastings Goodread profile and, you know, you're seeing if there's any new material, there's a new series out from her. You click download on your little Kindle. You're like, yes. But then you get into it and you're like, wait a fucking second. I wasn't expecting Jane Austen, but this is not (laughs) what I signed up for. She never actually wrote it. She never opened the Word doc, the Google doc, whatever app people are using these days. And instead, someone had taken all of Jess's books, fed them into an AI machine, and popped out a new series that Jessa has never even heard of. Oh my God, this is very dark and dystopian. Could this really happen? Has it happened? It is dystopian, and it has happened. To one, Jane Friedman, and many other authors. Jane is an author who writes books about media and the publishing industry. And in August of this year, a reader alerted her to some books that were written under her name, but didn't really seem like Jane's kind of writing. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like if someone said like, hey, Colson Whitehead, quick cue. Did you write this book called Best Sheeps of Galway, Ireland? (laughs) No, exactly. Like Colson Whitehead probably wouldn't write about the best sheep of Galway, Ireland. So Jane goes on her little Goodreads profile, which she doesn't really do that often, which is fair because Goodreads readers are kind of scary. I'm not going to lie. Yes. mm -hmm. I was trying to be nice. Jane goes on her Goodreads profile. She notices there were a bunch of books on her author page that she just straight up did not write, had no hand in. Jane is obviously not happy, not least because she didn't write them because these books low-key suck ass. And she goes on her (laughs) Amazon author page where she finds these same books that she, once again, did not write. Oh, my God. And, like, what types of books are these? Can we get some examples? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As I said, they scientifically suck ass. Uh, these <laughs> books are called things like How to Write and Publish an ebook Quickly and Make Money or Promote to Prosper, Strategies to Skyrocket Your Ebook Sales on Amazon. 
Okay, this is like hustle, grind, fuckboy behavior. I hate this. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if you didn't know Jane as a person, as an author, as a publishing industry expert, you might think that she had written these books, which she wouldn't. It's the opposite of the kind of work that she writes. Okay, so if she didn't write these books, who did? So Jane thinks they were actually written by AI because this has become a bigger and bigger problem in the self-publishing industry where places like Amazon, which is arguably the biggest platform for self-publishing authors, it has an incredibly low barrier to entry. Like you really don't need to do much to get a book on Amazon and that opens the door to piracy and uploading PDFs that you stole from someone else. And it also opens the door to uploading a book that you generated through AI. And it also opens the door to making money off of a book that was completely written by AI and putting it under somebody else's name. Mm -hmm. And AI is just such a problem child this year. You know, every strike that we mentioned up top, they have some very valid fears about AI replacing human labor. And now we're seeing it with the publishing industry where AI is just writing Jane Friedman books without her consent. Like, how is this possible? You know, we're not sure. And by we, I mean, I'm not sure. But Jane, Jane has a theory. So we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk to Jane herself and ask about the battle she has been waging against these books she didn't write. All that and more after the break. Hey, y'all, if you love our podcast, then please consider subscribing to Slate Plus. When you subscribe to Slate Plus, you get no ads on any Slate podcast. You will also be supporting the show. I see why MI would not be possible without the support of Slate Plus subscribers. You will also get bonus segments or episodes on shows like Dear Prudence, Slow Burn, Amicus, The Waves, Big Moon, Little Moon, and, you know, maybe soon, I see why MI. Who knows? Maybe I'll do a four-part series on the Troubles. Who knows? You'll only find out if you subscribe. You also get unlimited reading on the Slate website, which means you get access to every single article and advice column on Slate without ever hitting the paywall. To sign up, just visit slate.com slash ICYMI plus to sign up. That is slate.com slash ICYMI plus. And we're back with Jane Friedman. She's an author and the writer behind The Hot Sheet, which is a newsletter about the publishing industry. Welcome to the show, Jane. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Jane, we really wanted to talk to you because you've kind of been the main character of this wild, fascinating, interesting situation that's going on. And it all really starts... When you check your Goodreads profile, which you apparently had not done in a while, and I wanted to ask, what was your relationship to Goodreads before all of this happened, and what made you look up your Goodreads profile on that day? Well, I already had an official Goodreads author profile because I've had books published for, gosh, maybe 15 years now. Um, But since I'm not actively publishing books, you're right, I don't check it on a regular basis. Um, But when I received an email from a reader she alerted me to these very curious books she found on Amazon. And 
I know that Amazon and Goodreads are very tightly connected. Amazon owns Goodreads. I knew that it was possible that these books were on my Goodreads profile as well. So it was just kind of a natural process for me to go and take a look. And in fact, not only were these weird books on my Goodreads profile, there were lots of other books too that I had not written that were listed there. When you say weird books, can you kind of describe what made them weird? So, you know, they had really bad covers. Um, (laughs) They were, they were like, not the most professional things in the world. They carried titles that while they were in the subject area that I'm known for writing and publishing, they were making lots of promises like how to supercharge your publishing career and make millions of dollars on ebooks, which that's not the sort of thing that I do typically. Mm -hmm. I try to rein in people's expectations. Mm. Um, So yeah, it was like clearly not the sort of material that I personally would endorse. That's why I say they were weird. You are perusing your Goodreads. You notice that your profile has some books on there claiming you as the author, but you had not written them at all. And like after some processing and investigating on your end, you deduce that these false titles may in fact have been AI generated works. I'm so curious, what were kind of the signs and clues that led you to that conclusion? I think like many writers, especially anyone who's online a lot like I am, I've experimented with chat GPT. I'm curious about what it can do. I'm curious if it's going to put me out of a job. (laughs) So, you know, I ask it questions that I get all the time about how to find an agent or a publisher or how to build a platform. And so I'm just, I want to see how good it can be at answering those questions. And I've done vanity prompting. So what would Jane Friedman say about X to see if it can actually reproduce the sort of things that I say at my website or newsletter. And, you know, it would be in kind of in the spirit of what I would say. I know that these models have scraped countless articles that I've written because they're online, they're free, they've been around for many years. So I know the models have been trained on my advice and they know who I am loosely. Um, and I, I, I should put no in quotes. Like, you know, that's, um, I, I think. We've all kind of been educated on what these models actually know or don't know, but it's it's been trained to know what I would say. And so when I read the first pages of these strange books, it was in the same style or vein of what I saw come out of ChatGPT. And how would you kind of define the difference between like a ChatGPT version of Jane Friedman <laughs> and Jane Friedman real? <laughs> So the chat GPT was it was just pretty generic, very mediocre, uh, repetitive. For those who've experimented with chat GPT, you probably know how it tends to like restate the question or like there's a lot of padding in there, like a bad student essay. So it was trying to be helpful in its responses or these books were trying to be helpful in providing some information, but it didn't feel substantive. You know, there wasn't a there there. It was it was just kind of very basic. And it didn't have any particular voice to it. And did you have to buy the fake Jane Friedman books to find this out? <laughs> I was able to use the look inside feature. Although I have to say, I'm really sorry that I didn't actually go ahead and buy these because <laughs> they would just be nice to have as souvenirs. That's true. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And they are souvenirs because, you know, you tweeted about this on a Sunday And then by Tuesday, the AI written books were removed from your Goodreads profile and Amazon author page. But 
you did tell us that there was kind of a catch because when you initially asked Amazon to take down the books that were falsely written under your name, they said they could only be removed if your name was trademarked. And I'm so curious, what does this mean? And like, is it industry standard for an author to have their name trademarked? No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Authors do not trademark their names. I mean, like if you're like a Rick Steves sort of personality, like if you're a really big name, it's possibly you would take that step or your publisher would, you know, take some steps to protect the brand or, you know, whatever that you're publishing under. But no, authors don't trademark their names by and large. But, you know, I can understand a little bit why Amazon might have responded with that because they do have something called the brand registry, which publishers participate in. Authors don't generally participate in it, but publishers do. And so if you're a publisher of like the Dummies series or, you know, some other big series that's known, um, they use the brand registry to get rid of infringement that's appearing in the Amazon marketplace. So I get it, but you know, this is um, I'm not a publisher, I'm just an author and I think they, you know, they're just going off their checklist that there's not a lot of critical thinking that goes on in that first step of customer service with Amazon. So, how did you eventually get the books taken down? Like what happened between Tuesday and Sunday? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I tried the official uh channel and takedown channel, which I've used before for like straightforward piracy. And I didn't have a lot of hope that it would work, and I was right. And you know, my my complaint went nowhere. And so that's why I wrote about it and went public with it, because I, I'm fortunate that I do have a platform. I can make a lot of noise and make a big headache for Amazon. Obviously, everyone's very anxious about this issue as well. So it was not hard to get attention for it. So by Monday evening, I did have an email from a real person at Amazon. It was a PR person, but someone with a name who said, we saw your post. We are looking into it. Thank you for your patience. And I knew by that point, okay, the books are going to come down. But I didn't know if they were responding to the outcry that I was able to raise. Or also, I'm a member of the Authors Guild, which is the largest authors organization in the United States. And they have back channels with Amazon, and they help authors with these sorts of problems all the time. And they immediately responded to this concern and said, we're going to see what we can do. So it could have been one or the other or, or both. It's so interesting because, you know, you are going through this and you also end up writing this really great blog post, by the way. It's called, I would rather see my books get pirated than this, parentheses, or why good reason Amazon are becoming dumpster fires. And I actually wanted to ask about this title real quick, because I'm curious, what's the difference between pirating an author's work and creating AI-generated text from their work, other than the fact that like one is legal and the other one is not? So with piracy, it's basically when someone takes your work that's already been published, which means it's protected under copyright law, and then they reissue it uh, or, or sell it in some way where there hasn't been permission or license to sell it. So I've dealt with piracy a lot. Every author has dealt with piracy. Every publisher deals with it 
there are ebook libraries online that have like free PDF versions of books. And I've also had my books just posted on Amazon wholesale. Amazon has pretty frictionless publishing tools. So it's not that hard to get something up for sale on Amazon, even if it is infringing. But they are very good about taking down blatant copyright infringement or pirated versions of books. And so for that, it's like, it's still my work. Like it's still my work. Maybe I'm not getting paid for it, but at least it's not, you know, doesn't make me look bad. (laughs) Like I did actually write this stuff. Um, It does have my advice. I'm just not getting any compensation. What was happening with the AI generated or what I think was AI generated work is it just makes me look bad. The books are terrible. And someone who's coming to me without a lot of knowledge of who I am or what I do, and they've stumbled on these books, um, they might think I actually wrote them, and they're going to come away with a really bad impression. And it's so hard to police. I mean, I can't be on Amazon every day of my life looking to see, okay, has anyone uploaded a new book that's supposedly by me? I mean, it's just kind of ridiculous. I mean, speaking of ridiculous, I do find it on some level really funny that they chose your books to to counterfeit because you're someone who writes books about the publishing industry. And so I guess I'm curious as to whether you have any theories about why they chose you and your writing as AI generated material or if it just felt kind of random. Yeah. So I do have a theory. Um, And it's only because I'm like really in deep with the self-publishing profiteering side of ebooks in particular. There are services and tools and databases that try to tell people who want to make money fast, what are some profitable categories that I can publish into? Um, What are the keyword searches in those categories? What are the authoritative keywords or areas? You know, whoever did this, they probably didn't know who I was. They're just scraping data to see what book would do really well in this category and in this environment. So I think that's probably what happened. I've certainly seen people advertise against my name on Amazon and also on Google. On both Amazon and Google, it's a keyword-based advertising. Like, you know, when you do a Google search, they're the ads that come up first. Mm -hmm. And so you can advertise against anything you want, any words you want. So there are companies that advertise against the search word Jane Friedman or how to get published or how to get a book published, and they appear above the organic results. And that's true on Google as well as Amazon. So publishing feels like one of those fields that if you were to do an AI-generated scam, (laughs) that (laughs) you might want to, I guess generate content from are there any others that you feel like would kind of be really conducive to this kind of model like there was an article I read recently about mushroom experts getting really concerned Uh, about mushroom foraging books being generated by AI and potentially getting someone killed because it's really important to know what kind of mushrooms you're foraging so I'm wondering if it's like the kind of how-to genre of book that feels like really susceptible or if there's like any other thing? No, you're absolutely correct. At least as of today and where the technology is, anything that's information driven, how to service oriented, that's really ripe for this sort of fraud or just AI generated material, whether it's fraudulent or not. Um, There was a New York Times article not too long ago about how this is affecting 
the travel category. There are floods of books now um, AI generated in the travel space and people, they look believable. People are buying them. They're cheaper. And then they get into the book and they're like, this, I don't know about this. <laughs> I'm also wondering when this happened to you and people in your life and your circle obviously know about this, did any of your like publishers, agents, editors, and those type of friends have anything to say about it? Like, did they help or get involved? And do you have any sense of how publishing as an industry is responding to this problem in particular? I think a lot of people are watching fearful that it's about to happen to them. Mm. Um, I think some people were grateful that it happened to me because I'm in a position of advocacy for writers and authors, and I try to help them out of problems like this. Mm -hmm. um, so now that I've experienced this firsthand, I can tell people what to expect, what their remedies are, what I've tried to do for myself, etc. So my publisher and my editor, which is the University of Chicago Press, they certainly saw what was unfolding even before I contacted them and were talking about it internally before I reached out to ask if they could, you know, go through their brand registry to help me. Mm -hmm. um, and the Authors Guild, of course, is monitoring this sort of stuff all the time. A lot of authors reached out to me to thank me for, you know, just blogging about it, trying to bring attention to it, and to try to make Amazon aware that people's livelihoods could suffer here because it's really hard, as you can imagine, to get Amazon to move on something. Right. Yeah. Um, so having such a high-profile example of someone who's pretty trusted in the publishing community, I think people have been hopeful that it would lead to some change. Mm -hmm. But according to Jane, that change isn't coming soon enough. So when we come back, we're going to talk about AI's continual creep into our bookshelves and why authors aren't the only ones who should be concerned. We'll be back with Jane right after the break. Life is full of tricky questions, but if you ask for help, you just might find some answers. I'm Janae Desmond-Harris, host of Slate's Dear Prudence podcast. Each week, I'm joined by a guest to respond to your questions about relationships at home, work, and beyond. And the guests are great. Renowned couples therapist, Dr. Orna Gorelnik, Slatesters like Mark Joseph Stern, and our guest this week, Tia Williams. We are so much more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. Honestly, you absolutely can wake up and be like, this is going to be the best summer of my life. Or, you know, make a list. Like, this summer, I'm going to have a one-night stand. You know, this summer, I'm going to try a food I've never tried before. You know, and go down the list and do those things. Join us for Dear Prudence every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. I wanted to read a bit of the blog post that you wrote about this. You wrote, how can anyone reasonably expect working authors to spend every week for the rest of their lives policing this? And I think that's such an important thing to note because an author's job is to write. And also most working authors are usually working day jobs along with yeah. writing on the side. And theoretically in the dream scenario they have an editor they have a publicity marketing team to get their name out there but 
no one is hired to search for an author's name daily and make sure no right. one is tacking their names onto books they didn't write. And so I wanted to ask, how bad do you think this is going to get before it gets better? Like, what's the kind of darkest timeline for AI-generated books? Do you think there will be yeah. an author strike over AI, like the WGA and SAG strike? Yeah, I unfortunately, I think it will get worse before it gets better because there are just no systems in place to stop it. I mean, we've seen some initial steps from Amazon that indicate they might do something more in the future. But what the problem for book authors in particular is that they can't organize in the same way as, say, the Writers Guild of America. And I know this is really confusing to people who are totally outside the writing and publishing industry. But the WGA is, you know, related to, um, you know, writing for the screen. Um, And the Authors Guild would love it if book authors could do collective bargaining. But as of today, that's not possible. So we really just have the Authors Guild as well as the Association of American Publishers to try and launch advocacy. And the Authors Guild has made some progress, but you know the the tools are advancing too quickly, and Amazon and some other book distributors like Ingram, I mean, the bar is just so low for books to reach major distribution outlets and retailers. Like it was just a few weeks ago that, someone generated a book, I'm assuming it was generated, uh, about the Maui wildfires. It was published just two days um, after the fire started. The fires weren't over yet, and there was a book on it. And it made its way from Amazon onto Barnes & Noble, where it was flagged as a so-called bestseller. I I don't know how how that was even possible, but that was the flag it got. And then it also appeared on Bookshop, which is, you know, the virtuous alternative to ordering your books online uh, if you want to avoid Amazon. And, you know, Bookshop has no interest in selling something like that unless it's clearly labeled as this was AI generated. And so when they saw it, they immediately took it down. Uh, it took Barnes & Noble another few days to take that book down. But that's like that's just like the tip of the iceberg. And when you have Amazon with this link up with Ingram, that's that's the biggest book distributor in the country, if not the world. You know, things just move so quickly and these books can spread very quickly and it's very hard to get them taken down no matter who you are. And and partly we're looking at quantity of material entering the market here, it's just so challenging um, to catch everything. You know, it's thousands of books a day we're talking about. Yeah. We wanted to ask you a bit about the saga of fire and fury, the story of the 2023 Maui fire and its implications for climate change by a Dr. Miles Stones, who does not exist. As you (laughs) mentioned, this book is available not only on, you know, the virtuous alternative bookshop.org, but also on Barnes and Noble's website, which as a consumer of books, my expectation when I go to these websites is that the things that are on this website have been verified or written by real people that exist. I have kind of two questions, which is, could this ostensibly happen again, like a book that is AI generated, that is on Amazon, is then on Barnes and Noble, and is eventually taken down, but how many people bought it, we don't know. And how do consumers kind of yeah. figure out 
what they're buying is real before they buy it. Yeah, as of today, there there's really no way to tell other than applying your own critical thinking skills um, by looking at the author name, by looking at the bio, by doing a, a, a Google search for the author, looking at where the book might be mentioned elsewhere, especially I like to use the ISBN number because it really helps you find all of the different ways the book might have spread or where it might have originated from. So as of today, as far as I know, these books are entering the market through Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing. Pretty much anyone can sign up. I can't even begin to describe how easy it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's very easy. Anyone can do it. (laughs) Amazon has an expanded distribution program, and it's just a switch. And if you flip the switch on, then Amazon will distribute that book through Ingram, and Ingram reaches everybody. Like anyone who is anyone uses Ingram to order books, and places like Barnes & Noble barnesandnoble.com anyway, not the bricks and mortar stores, mm-hmm. bookshop. This would include Walmart, Apple, like anyone who receives books through Ingram, again, which is pretty much everyone mm-hmm. can can get these books. Now, some of the systems have a greater delay in place. Like sometimes, like even Amazon itself says, you know, there can be a four to eight week delay before the book reaches all retailers. But in the case of the Maui book, that was f- about 48 hours. Um, it didn't take long at all. And so some of these systems, it just depends on how often they refresh their feeds from Amazon. And if they're refreshing very frequently and not putting any sort of quality control in place, then yeah, they're just going to go up for sale immediately. Someone who trusts Barnes & Noble or Bookshop, you know, they, they don't know the back end that I've just described. They probably assume, like you do, that someone's paying attention. But there's too many books being published for them to possibly vet everything that's going up. So it's not that I necessarily blame them because it's, it would be impossible. And I feel like that is definitely the crux of the complexity of the situation, which is that publishing as an industry itself already so many gatekeepers, so many different people with different agendas. But on top of that, you know, I'm curious, who do you think might be the biggest bad in this situation? Like, do you think it's sellers like Amazon? Do you think it's Goodreads? Is it capitalism, the whole thing (laughs) for like telling people that AI generated stories can make them a lot of money? You know, who do you feel like, unfortunately, should be kind of pointed out a little bit. I mean, for me, it's Amazon. Mm. Because that's, in my experience, where the bad behavior gets incentivized. And it's also where the bad behavior can be stopped by Amazon itself. And they have a lot of systems in place, like they have a system of checks and balances, and they have fairly sophisticated ways of knowing certain accounts are more suspicious than others or the volume of material being put out through these accounts, they know. And so they have the ability more than anyone else to see where the activity is coming from and to put more safeguards in place or to just slow the progress (laughs) of the material. You know, It wouldn't be that hard for them to make a few adjustments that keeps the playing field even for those who are self-publishing, doesn't penalize people who self-publish or use Amazon systems, but makes it a little more difficult for some of this material, the most egregious of it, you know, the stuff that's clearly fraudulent or going to give customers a really bad experience, as in the case of the travel books. I think Amazon 
is well within their capabilities to stem the tide of that. And they announced new rules and guidance for Kindle books generated by AI tools on September 6th, including the requirement that authors have to say when their content is AI generated. And I wanted to know, what are your thoughts on these kind of new rules that Amazon has put out? And do you think that they're enough or a good start? It's a good start. Like the fact that they're asking and that they're collecting the data is great. Now, I would like to see them make that transparent to the customer mm-hmm. um, that, you know, just like any other quality of the book, like how many illustrations does it have? How many pages does it have? Is it AI generated? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, why can't that be part of what we call the metadata for the book so that we understand its origins, um, why they're keeping that you know, on the back end for their eyes only, I couldn't tell you. However, you know, either way, it's easy enough for someone to lie and say, I wrote this, uh, an AI didn't generate it, because I don't know of any tools as of today that could 100% say, yes, this was AI generated. There's always, I think there's always going to be some sort of error rate. And I don't know how effective that's going to be, but I'm glad they've done something. Yeah. And, you know, Jane, I kind of feel like the conversation about AI does stem from this rightfully place of fear. You know, I think, unfortunately, this thing that has happened to you has made people kind of perk their ears up and be like, oh, my God, could this happen to me? And so I think something that might be helpful is just asking, you know, what would you say to an author who is like actively worried about someone using their work and their name to also publish fraudulent books? Like, do you have any tips or maybe just words of calm to kind of like help people figure this out? I do. And I would say this is for everybody, not just authors. It's for anyone who has a name that could be profited on, that can be traded on, that someone would see search demand for. So, Mm. you know, maybe someone's going to put out a book with a roundup of the best interviews from this podcast (laughs) or, you know, (laughs) and put your names on it. You know, it could be anybody. So I would say if you don't have Google alerts set up for names, titles, brands that are important to you, definitely do that. If you are an author with books published, then you should definitely go and claim your Amazon Author Central account, if you haven't already, because that is an official page of your books that you actually have some control over what books are shown or not shown. And it's much easier to deal with Amazon when you have that page active and that, you know, you're you're managing it well. And I think most authors are pretty good about that piece. And then on the flip side of that, the Goodreads, which, you know, strangely is totally different, even though it's the same company, you should certainly clean that up if it needs cleaning up. Don't make it look like a ghost town or that it's, you know, (laughs) collecting things that aren't accurate, because that just makes it harder on you down the road when there is a real problem that has to be addressed. I would also suggest if you're a published author, becoming a member of the Authors Guild, because they are fighting really hard on this front for authors. And they have a very specific service that's about dealing with Amazon problems. And it's really sad that they have to have a department dedicated to that, but they do. And so as a member, you get basically their free legal counsel and services in that regard, and they can be so much more efficient in getting Amazon's attention. And partly, this is sad, um, and this isn't a knock on authors, 
But, you know, not every author is the most knowledgeable about what constitutes copyright infringement or trademark infringement or other types of things. And so the Authors Guild is able to advise you and bring to Amazon the things that really have to be dealt with. Or they can explain to you, okay, well, this is an issue, but it doesn't deserve Amazon's attention. That makes sense. One kind of last question I had is about the kind of fate of self-published authors, because it feels like in a lot of ways, this problem is terrible for a lot of people, but it really feels like the solutions that could come about would really put a squeeze on self-published authors who use the Amazon Direct program. Yes. And so I guess I'm curious as to your thoughts on the future and tools of self-published authors as this progresses forward. I'm so glad you brought that up because that is my area of, of highest concern. Um, because the self-published authors who are trying to you know, doing their best, playing by the rules. They're the ones who get hurt when all of these bad actors are flooding the market or trying to take advantage of the market in some way. And there's so much material entering the market, as I mentioned earlier, and it's easy to get lost in the noise. And so there's that factor of the more AI-generated material that hits Amazon and other retailers, the harder it is for the human generated work yeah. to stand out. And so I think that's another reason why we need really clear metadata or indicators for the consumers about the difference. And so they have some transparency about what they're buying and who they're supporting. I think with the problem I experienced with my name being used without my consent, you know, there are tools in place that Amazon could use, that other retailers could use that would help with disambiguation. So it's kind of like how Wikipedia, like if you search a term or a name on Wikipedia that has multiple entries associated mm -hmm. with it, something like that on Amazon or elsewhere, if you were looking for a particular author and you would have a page that said, are you looking for this author or that author? Or did you know there are these authors that share this name? And so that way the consumer could be sure, okay, this is the Jane Friedman I'm looking for, or and, and ensure that they're not getting the, a fake one. Where maybe there are authors who have the right, of course, to use the name that they were born under, and they want to publish under that name, and not have it get confused or aligned with someone else using the same name, whether legitimate or illegitimate. You know, in the music industry, in academic publishing, in other areas of media, we have tools for disambiguating, but Amazon doesn't. Um, and generally, book publishing doesn't. So there are systems that could be used, and I hope that they are, because this would also make self-published authors' lives so much easier if they didn't have to worry about conflation or um, being identified in ways that they didn't consent to. Okay, that's the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so definitely subscribe. That way, you never miss an episode. Leave us a rating and a review in Apple or Spotify, and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, where can I watch pitch? And you can always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Sarah Spragley-Ricks, Candice Slim, and me, Rachel Hampton. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's vice president of audio. See you online. Or in the Pitch subreddit.